Hi everyone, welcome to Manager IQ's Manager Skills Corner podcast. Manager IQ's mission is to provide an online space where managers can access all the resources, learnings and tools to build their manager toolkit and also to provide you with a community of managers to lean on. This podcast is designed to bring experts in specific areas of management to share their knowledge and experience with the Manager IQ community. We share tips and tricks which you can implement into your management practice. For more information about Manager IQ and our products, check out our website www.manageriq.com. Now, let's check out today's episode. Hi, everyone. We are here today with Kate Sosenko, founder of the Good Busy Playbook and is an expert in productivity, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Kate has worked all over the world, including Brussels, Bangkok, Singapore, just to name a few, but now lives in beautiful Cyprus. She's had 15 years experience in retail and hospitality industries, working for companies such as Levi, Gucci, IWC, Schaffhausen and CPR Vision Management. Kate has experienced what bad busy looks like and has recognized how it was impacting her ability to focus on all those things she'd enjoyed doing. She enjoyed doing such as developing her coaching skills and spending time with family and friends and enjoying the beach with a good book. Kate is on a mission to create good busyness in the workplace because everyone deserves time for what truly matters to them. Using Kate's techniques, leaders are able to reclaim 30 percent of their time. She provides consulting services, team and group workshops and trains and coaches individuals. Kate, we're so happy to have you on today. How are you? Alex, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Hello from Cyprus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's it like weather-wise there at the moment? Perfect. It's the perfect time. It's like 25 to 30 degrees. So it's it's amazing. Very sunny. Oh, fabulous. That sounds wonderful. We're just coming into summer here in New Zealand, so it's starting to warm up a little bit, which is which has been lovely. Good for the soul. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I've given a little bit of a brief introduction. I definitely haven't given it justice, but I wonder if you don't mind telling our listeners today a little bit about yourself and your career to date and I guess how you've become a, an expert in this productivity space. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for a lovely introduction. And um, I don't know what to add there, but I think, well, I started actually working in, in Brussels. That's where I studied. So my first job was at Levi's and it was in supply chain, but I've always wanted to work in luxury. So then after my experience in Brussels, I moved to Italy and that's where I joined sort of the luxury industry. And thanks to that industry, I worked all over the world. So some of the countries you mentioned, one more would be like China, for example, Switzerland. And my background is in client relationship management and client experience. So I used to train um, how to build relationship with clients, um, sales teams and marketing teams. And I loved training overall. And I think my approach to training has always been slightly different, not as traditional um, I used to ask a lot of questions because I wanted people to interact. I wanted people to learn from each other. And about four years ago, I had a manager who introduced me to coaching. So we started developing more coaching style workshops for the teams. And I received tons of positive feedback. And that sort of prompted me to think that, well, this is where I get the most energy at work. And this is what resonates the most with people so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into coaching what what coaching is and what coaching is not so I went and I got an accreditation in coaching so that allowed me sort of to also implement my skills at work so I was employed at, at that time 
And um, then I thought, why not doing it sort of on my own? Because it was the original plan anyways. And the reason I picked productivity as a niche is I am sort of organization freak and I value my time and the time of others a lot. Um, and I think that we, you know, we can actually achieve results with less resources and in less time but it's because we don't stop enough we sort of have this misconception about productivity that it's squeezing everything every juice from every minute we we don't have enough time to do that and so I think that when we stop and we ask questions we kind of make better decisions and we enjoy better outcomes and this is sort of why i chose the productivity niche also considering i think i've never lost or sorry i've never missed a deadline <laughs> so unless my colleagues will be listening ex-colleagues will be listening to that they will say, no you did but i had a lot of people asking me how do you do that and and sort of i guess uh, i had my ways um and i am happy to share them today with with the world yeah and I, I so appreciate your time and I love a few things that you said in there. And um, one of them that I'll pick out is around, um, you know, you picking something that gave you energy. And I think that that is such a powerful, I guess, place to be because uh, even for myself doing manager IQ, I almost don't feel like it's work because I'm enjoying it so yeah. much and I don't feel tired at the end of the day and so forth. So there's something to be said around finding something that is your passion and also gives you energy because it means you bounce out of bed in the morning and you enjoy what you do. So I feel like that's very exactly. powerful and that comes across in what you deliver and what you offer. Um, you. So that's one thing, not a problem. The one yeah. thing I wanted to pick out on. And another thing as well is around, I love the concept of being able to do more, but within less time. And I'm, I've, been looking through um, a lot of your resources and a lot of things that you've offering through your newsletter and I've been inspired to even try and change the way that I work and I'm, I'm on that journey now so I'm excited to have you on today to, to talk through some of these concepts as well so appreciate your time. Um, Thank you. One of the things no worries one of the things that we do like to do at the beginning of the podcast is just get everyone kind of anchored around the concept so um yeah. why don't we talk specifically from your perspective what is meant by manager or and team productivity um yeah you know there is a lot of conversation about uh, managers versus leaders today and um, a lot of headlines say don't be a manager be a leader i sort of have a slightly different opinion on that i don't think that being a manager is is or being a leader is a straightforward thing i think it's a um, team leader is a multifaceted role so there are times when you need to be a leader and there are times when you need to be a manager right so leader sets the vision Mm. But manager gets the things done. And uh, to give you just my example from my previous work, I used to um, manage a lot of client events and they would happen on weekends or late at night. At that time of the event, I wouldn't be able to lead. I said the vision before the event, but during the event, I was a manager. I needed to get things done. So it really depends on sort of the situation. And on top of that, I think that manager also is required to wear other hats like the manager needs to see through their people and to understand where they're struggling so that's where the manager becomes a trainer because they need to help them to develop their, their these skills either they do it on their own or they kind of guide the person to find the right training to build that skill 
a manager is also somebody who is uh, who believes um, in their team. So it's a coach, right? So it's a person who helps the other person, so their team member, to believe in themselves. Sometimes life happens to everybody, so manager needs to become a counselor. So I had a situation like this with somebody going through something very personal and very challenging. So I was the shoulder that they could cry on. Then we need a manager as a friend because we need those celebrations and even daily celebrations for people to stay engaged, motivated, excited, right? That dopamine. We also need a manager to be a student because if the manager is not open-minded is the manager doesn't open um, sorry doesn't welcome the perspective then it's very hard to work with that kind of manager so I think that a lot of people have this sort of um, idea that you know managers are bad or bosses are bad I don't agree with that I really think that there is no absolute right or wrong it really depends on the situation and I read somewhere that at the end leadership is not the skill that you just learn it's a skill that you never stop learning and i think that a lot of people need to embrace that because depending on the situation you will always encounter something new and learn something new and if you learn to wear and sort of juggle those different hats you will be welcoming those those learnings and those insights and become a better leader become a better manager but when it comes to the productivity so for me productivity um is probably again also different from what the outside world, um, how the outside world defines productivity. So for me, it's achieving the goal with the less effort. So it's delivering progress everything single day towards the destination or towards the outcome that you 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 want or you're going after or you desire. So it's working together also as a team. I always like to give examples from sports because I played tennis myself when I was a junior for 10 years. So when you look at the way teams in sports are managed and teams in business are managed, there is a huge difference. So teams in sports, they actually play together. And that's why we rarely hear about uh, individual performance reviews in sports. But in business, we really base the performance on the team on the individual performance, and we rarely have team performances. So that's why there is no, very often there is this cohesion that is missing from the teamwork. And that's why the team productivity is missing, because people don't understand that how they impact each other and how their decisions or actions, you know, play together. So, um, yeah, so I think for me, productivity is really about team productivity, especially it's about getting to know each other and understanding what everybody brings to the table and how this what everybody brings to the table becomes a strength, a team strength and what team strengths do we have and what team strengths we are underutilizing and what do we want to achieve together? Because at the end, I I truly believe and even though people say that tennis is an individual sport, I don't believe there is such thing. I think that everything that we achieve in life, we achieve it thanks to the help of the team or thanks to the help of, you know, our support system. So, yeah, this is basically for me the what productivity means. Yeah, I love so much about what you said there. I actually probably loved it all. Um, a couple of things I would say is that I love the fact that it's not just about 
like you say, getting the most out of everybody every single minute of the day and I guess squeezing them dry. Um, that's not what we're talking about here in productivity. Um, and some of the things that I've been reading on your, your LinkedIn page is around having that clear sense of purpose, goal as a collective team that you're working towards that's going to help you, you know, play to your strengths or understand the strengths of the team and work better together so that you are reaching those goals in a much more effective or efficient way. So I just love the fact that you're kind of changing what people would perceive as the normal definition of productivity and you're working in a different space, but it's not just about saving time. There's actually a lot more to it around clarity of goals or, or whatever the other concepts might be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point also, a lot of people think that, um, you know, again, productivity is sort of fitting every as much as possible into your calendar. But to me, rest is an integral part of productivity. Again, coming back to sports, athletes don't go on the field or don't go on the court if they are not rested. So after each match, there is a recovery that is happening. And that's why they are so disciplined, because they understand that if they lose a night of sleep, unfortunately, they're not going to perform the next day. But somehow in business, we think that rest is equivalent of weakness, right? It means that we're not prioritizing work, but we are not machines. And I love the quote from Cal Newport, who said that humans are not wired to be constantly wired. And I love this because even cars need fuel, right? But we 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 somehow we forget that we humans, we also have biological needs and we need that fuel as well to keep going. And one of them is rest. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. And I, I agree wholeheartedly that you need rest. And I even know for myself, if I've had a bad night's sleep, say with my son or with um, other things that might be going on, I'm definitely not focused the next day. I'm not on my game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then a good night's rest or just having a moment to go for a good walk or whatever it is, then I can I can actually reset and get myself into a much better headspace. And then suddenly I, I get through a big piece of work that maybe I've been procrastinating with or whatever it is. So I agree. Rest is so important and once again another aspect of productivity that isn't necessarily all just about getting work done yeah exactly i mean it's 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 getting <laughs> the most important things done not all the work you know there is a lot of work actually there is um asana who does this work uh, index a yearly work index and they say that 60% about of what we do at work is work about work so is the follow ups duplicate work um, useless meetings, you know, useless emails and all of that. So in reality, we actually do much more than we should. Why? Because we don't ask enough questions. You know, the classical situation that I've encountered in my career is when I come and I'm shared a process and I say, but what is the reason we're doing it this way and not that way? Well, we have been doing it for 10 years and well, well that's a good premise for it to change, right? But people don't ask enough questions, so they can continue doing it. And so what happens is that they they do things that, well, are not bringing any value. And so it makes their time worthless. So. 
Yeah. And I, I feel like even a lot of my career now I'm reflecting and thinking there's so many things that I did because I got excited about doing new things. I'm I'm kind of like a yeah. flashy new toy kind of person. <laughs> and and I'm a believer in that everything is or sorry, anything is possible. So when someone says, Oh, let's do X, I'm like, Yes, let's do it. Do you know kind of thing? And then I I'd had a deputy who was a little bit more like, Whoa, where does this fit into what we're trying to achieve? The the team are already yeah. over capacity and yes, it's exciting and yes, it, it would add value, but really is at the right time now and and I needed her to be able to kind of you know um I guess balance my my eagerness um yeah but now that I think about it, if I'd asked a few more questions around okay well how does this piece of work fit into what the team wants to achieve in our goals if it doesn't fit now can we you know maybe put it on the burner for later um and, and all these different things so I just feel there's so many I've got hundreds of different scenarios that are popping to mind right now around how if I'd asked a few more questions I actually probably would have prevented myself from working so hard and then being a manager leader at the time probably working my team harder because of this enthusiasm and not asking that right you know a few more extra questions yeah I agree you know and it's it's interesting that for me curiosity is the art of asking questions and this is the probably one of the only skills that we're born with but um, when we grow up we lose the skill so if you look at the data so children's dialogue has more than 80% of questions, right? So they are very smart in taking their decisions. So I have an, an one, a niece and a nephew, they are toddlers. And before they take a decision, they ask me probably five questions. But when, when you think of adults' dialogue, so the number of questions go down to 25% or less. So that really tells you there, there are a lot of, obviously there are a lot of things that are involved. There are cultural aspects, there are social, social aspect, character as well. But the fact is that we do not ask enough questions. And that's why we have our foot on the accelerator all the time, where is we need to be able to pass, to ask the question in order to be to make the right decision and to enjoy better outcomes. Yeah, and I also wonder how that how you build that up as a manager as part of your culture, because I know a lot in the past, particularly for more junior members of the team, they would probably feel uncomfortable asking questions because they might be being perceived in a certain way that they don't know what they're doing and so forth. So I guess there's a lot of um, a lot of things a manager can do that can create a culture where questions are good. You know, being curious is yeah. good um, because we're going to get to a better outcome for our team. You know, we're going to reach our goals faster and it's going to, you know, going to challenge us uh, in what we're doing. I um, I recorded an, a podcast episode just with myself um, on continuous improvement and creating a continuous improvement culture. And it makes me feel like there's some similarities there in the sense that um, the example you gave around doing a process for, for 10 years, why aren't we challenging the way that we do that and asking a few more questions? So I feel like there's some very um, positive things that can come out of it if a manager is able to insert um, a curious mindset as part of the culture or we celebrate curiosity, um, whatever or however you could do that. Yeah, I think that um, asking questions is a skill. And I think that mm -hmm. I've developed a lot uh, the skill during my coaching training because it, coaching is all about asking questions. Um, and so we are not we are we are focusing the attention on very fancy skills and in the workplace. But we all always assume that basic skills like asking questions well, or being productive or using time more intentionally, these are the skills that everybody already has. Well, no, we don't. And because they are considered basic, a lot of people don't raise their hand to say, 
well, I actually need help with it. So for me, installing this curious mindset in the team at the end is all leading by example. And I know it sounds very, very cliche. We talk a lot about it, but this is a fact that um, our most natural way to learn as humans is by observation. And especially when we look at the management of people, let's say in the hierarchy who are above us, we are looking up to them, right? Well, they got there because of certain elements or certain skills that they have. So we want that as well. So we believe that what they are doing, they are doing it right. So we start to observe them, we start to copy and we start to imitate. So this for me is the sort of one of the best ways to install that curious mindset. And the other one is um, there is a lot of conversation about psychological safety. But for me, psychological safety doesn't have to be something huge and big. It, it starts with very small things like anything else, like productivity itself. So, for example, people feel much safer in familiar environments, right? So that's the mere exposure effect. We, If we know something, we are familiar with it. We are, it's going to be a safe choice. So what I've encountered in my life is a managers who are absolutely not interested in getting to know their team. And when the manager is sort of detached from the team, it's very hard for the team to feel safe and to ask questions. But whenever you are engaged in a constant conversation with your team, you're asking them questions, you're trying to get to know them, they will be feeling comfortable to ask and bring those questions back to you. So that's why we, we often try to solve the big problem, but in reality, we can, we can start with solving very, very small problems, and then the, uh, probably the big problems wouldn't even exist. Yeah, that's you're you're almost echoing what um, we had a professor from one of the Melbourne universities come on to do an episode about psychological safety. And he basically said, if you get to know your people and you build good relationships with them, it's highly unlikely that you will come across, uh, you know, people who are feeling psychologically unsafe because it's all about having good relationships. Mm. Exactly. Yes. We're excited to announce that Manager IQ has now created a new manager community called the Manager Mentor Hub. This is a place where managers can come to master their craft, get access to a supportive community and share their knowledge and experience. When you join this community, you will have the ability to undertake a management self-review, set your goals, get access to monthly masterclasses where the topics are based off the community goals, requests and other general community chatter. There is a weekly live office hours to ask and workshop any of your management questions that you might have. And of course, there's also the community itself where you can ask each other questions and get support from each other. So why don't you come along and check us out. More information can be seen at www.manageriq.com. See you there. So I know in your in in the work that you do, you talk about the concepts of good busy and you know bad busy. Do you want to talk as a little bit around what does that look and feel like? Yeah. Um, so good busy for me is what productivity is about. It's about making progress towards your goal, right, in one specific direction. So it feels very effortless. It is enjoyable and it is fulfilling at the end of the day. You kind of it doesn't mean that you you've done a very big step, but you've done something that takes you closer to where you want to go. And bed busy is basically the opposite. So the big, the probably the 
um, most common analogy would be the hamster wheel. So you're doing a lot, you're feeling overwhelmed, it's chaotic, and everything uh, seems urgent. So it's very sporadic, but there is no movement. There is just motion, but there is no movement. So this is, for me, the difference between the two. And a lot of people talk about busyness as being something negative. And as much as I agree that productivity doesn't necessarily mean being busy, but in order to get productive, you need to get busy. It's just the difference is always in the how. Yeah, I love that. And I think I can see myself, um, particularly around some certain roles I had where I was just almost a slave to my inbox and a slave to other people's yeah. needs and wants and so forth. And then when you take a step back and you look at your day and you're thinking, well, actually, I didn't achieve anything that was progressing me towards you know, my goals or my KPIs or, you know, the things that the team needed to do. And it's kind of like, oh, well, that's it, it didn't feel like a wasted day because you still felt like you had achieved something, but you're probably achieving something more for others than actually yourself and your team. Yeah, correct. Exactly. So I think it's 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 for me, once again, it's very important to be able to pause and ask those questions. And to your point um, about the goals and KPIs, I think one of the reasons a lot of people are a bit busy is because they confuse the goals and the KPIs. So achieving KPIs doesn't necessarily mean achieving your goals. So they put all the efforts, they finally get, they they met their KPIs, but then they, they, are, they are surprised and they struggle because they say, well, but I haven't achieved the goal, so how is that possible? And I think it's once again, it's a basic skill because nobody teaches you how to set goals in the workplace, right? And all those mm. KPI dashboards, they are fantastic. But in reality, I never understood why they are called key performance indicators. Because even if I talk about, I, I you know, an example from retail, an average price per ticket, because my background is in retail. Well, how does that tell me how am I performing towards my goal? It doesn't, mm. right? It just tells me, it shows me how my strategy is performing. Am I going in the right direction? It also can show me additional opportunities or things to be worried to worry about, but it doesn't show me how am I performing towards my goal. So I like mm. to call them key pathways indicators. So these are opportunities, you know, these are the paths that I can choose. These are the things that I can play with to reach my goal. And I think that's again, this is something that I was working with a client and I she was a manager in a, in a big company, but it was for her first role as a manager, sort of team manager. And when I explained this to her and she said, but, but like, why nobody explained this to me in the past? But now it is so clear. I know my goal and the rest. Well, I can play with it, but I know my goal. This is what I need mm -hmm. to achieve. So, again, it's because people are scared to ask. They are scared to admit that they don't know how and they don't mm -hmm. ask questions. Right. Because they are going to be judged. Um, and I think that's why it's important for, for companies to just prepare and invest more in preparation for of the managers, whether it's mid-level or senior level, um, to review certain basics. Because it's like building a house. If you don't have a strong foundation, well, the house will collapse. And that's why a lot of managers are collapsing. Mm. You're inspiring me to think about some topics. We're um, we're launching the Manager Mentor Hub next week. We talked about it um, before um, we started recording yeah. and we've got a monthly masterclass. And now I'm starting to think about, well, maybe we need to do a monthly masterclass on these specific things around, you know, some of these more, I guess, obvious but not well um, trained skills that we assume managers have that we could actually 
maybe just reinforce if they do know it already or inspire them to do it in a different way, to ask more questions, to um, actively help their people set good goals and, and talk about, you know, key pathway indicators. I like that. Um, so, yeah, anyways, you're inspiring me on some topics, so I appreciate that. Great. And you touched on it a little bit, but I wonder if there's anything more you'd like to add here around, you know, why is it important to be, you know, what we would call a good busy? Well, I like to um, refer here always to the Maslow pyramid, right? So we sort of, of course, we have different circumstances, but as uh, I think that people who are, um, who feel unproductive at work and they want sort of more time to spend with their family or for their hobbies or maybe for a side hustle. These are the people who are already in the second half, in the in the, in the top of the pyramid, right? So they are looking for the self-esteem. They are looking for the self-actualization. And for me is if you want to find that, you need to be productive because self-actualization is actually producing something that is of value to others. And if you are bed busy, so you are in the hamster wheel and you're not creating any progress and you're not producing, well, you're never going to reach that self-actualization part of the pyramid. So at the end, I think a lot of people are struggling with this because we still live in the society that values money more than time. And that's why we also work so much because we believe sort of it's the, the traditional way of thinking that we are getting paid for the amount of work that we, we do, right? So we try to squeeze everything in. But in reality, we are getting paid for the result. So if we start changing that mind mindset, we will start valuing time more and we will actually become more productive because we will become as intentional we are with our money, we will become as intentional with our time. Yeah, and I just feel that if, you know, we're able to, you know, reach your mission of and, you know, of of making sure that you have a lot more organizations that are looking to be good busy, I can just imagine what the positive aspects that will have for that organization, that team, but then if it manifests itself more broadly to, a, you know, like a city or an environment, it'd be such a positive world to be in. Uh, because like you have mentioned, people will be energized, they'll be focusing on, um, you know, adding value to to the to the world. But then they've also got time to spend on those things like family and friends and hobbies and so forth. So sounds like a wonderful, you know, environment to be part of. And um, you could sign me up tomorrow. I'll be there. Um, but it's exciting to me to think that, you know, this is possible. And, you know, just by using some of your techniques, um, you know, it's, it's something that's quite achievable as well. I think so. I think that the we need a shift of mindset in the way we see work. So I don't believe in work-life balance because when you when you mm -hmm. say work-life balance, you are separating work from life. But I believe that when you are working, you're breathing, so you're leaving, right? And we all have to work. And a lot of people kind of position work as an evil of life and sort of this is something that we must mm. do well we yes we must do but again it's in the how you can learn to enjoy it or you can hate it that's a choice mm. right but the fact is that you're going to work so you choose you want to fight it or you want to invest to learn how to make it effortless how to make it fun and how to make it fulfilling for yourself 
Um, so that's why for me, it's very hard. I think we often segregate this personal life and professional life, but it's almost impossible. Uh, I know personally, mm. I, I went through something very difficult in my life and it was very hard not to bring it to work. It was absolutely hard. Mm. And that's why it's very important to understand that everything is part of life. And everything is connected. Mm. You can't separate everything. And as soon as you start sort of seeing work as something that helps you grow and become a better human and something that helps you to reach that top of Maslow pyramid, then you'll start shifting and everything around you will start shifting. But if you continue seeing work as an evil and you're fighting it, so you're you're simply no, never going to get there and you're going to be stuck in the hamster wheel. Mm, yeah, I really like that. I really like that. And I, I've been fortunate because a majority of my working career, I've really loved what I, I was doing. Um, but I felt like I was an anomaly, you know, with my friends and yeah. my family and so forth. And, mm. and a lot of it's around a means to an end, you know, so you get money to live the life that you want. Um, you know, outside of work life, but you know, and I and I was always felt a little bit like, oh, you know, like I've got this exciting career. I, I always felt that I was able to help people, which was an underlying value for me. Um, and I was just always hoping that others could maybe get to a point where they're able to to do that too. So I think that you're right. I think if people are able to to have that mindset shift, and also if they get themselves into a position where they're in a you know a, a type of job or whatever or a workplace that is not um, I guess creating that positive aspect to it or or not or seeing it as an evil, then they have the the courage to maybe try and do something different. Um, but it's easier said than done, I guess, when you when you're thinking about it with you know what people need to live. Um, but yeah. if they could have a mindset shift, I think it'd be amazing. Yeah, I think like that's why I love connecting the dots because I, I really don't think we can learn um, you know from one place. So I took this course on happiness. And they talk about three levels of happiness. The first level is when you accept the things that you can change. So, right, so you stop fighting. So, for example, in this case, it's work exists. I have to work, right, because I need to make a living. I need to eat. I need to sleep, right, and sort of uh, I need to provide for my family. The second level is when you invest to understand your own strength and you're starting to use them for your own good. So that's where you start to enjoy your work in a completely different way because you're focusing on what you're good at and you're starting to chase the energy, something that we talked about earlier. Um, and then the third level is when you start using those strengths to help and create value for others. And this is sort of the ultimate mm. happiness. And for me, that resonated with me so much because one day I was, um, when I was working in, in Thailand, so we had this leadership workshop with a professor from the IND school in Lausanne. And he, we were about probably 40 to 50 people attending the workshop, all different levels from general managers to sort of um, chefs, um, uh, because it was a uh, when I was working in hospitality, and one of the questions um, he asked, he asked us to think of a moment where we felt the most energized at work, and I think about twenty people answered, and but the answer was the same. The answer was, it's when I helped somebody somebody at work. Mm. So we wow. want to be useful. 
we want to feel we are creating value for people, right? So this is the ultimate level of sort of, of happiness. We want to give, but we just sometimes don't know what we want to give or what can we give and how. But when we learn that, we sort of go, you know, step by step. That's honestly was how I came to where I am now. It's it's really rewarding and it becomes actually much more simple than than we think. Yeah, I love that. That's so, so great. I actually did a, um, when I was doing my psychology degree, I did two semesters where I had to do a research topic and I was put in the happiness group. So mm -hmm. I did a couple of semesters studying happiness myself. So it was resonating with what you were saying yeah. there. Nice. Um, and it's quite, it's quite interesting because when you're studying happiness, you actually flick to those moments of like actually... I thought I was happy then and I wasn't, you know, because you're starting to yeah. piece together the the certain things that you're feeling and so forth. So kind of yeah. a cathartic experience, be it kind of like a bit of an epiphany. But um, anyway, yeah. a, a topic for another podcast, maybe. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I always like to touch on is that in, in your, I guess, experience, have you come across, I guess, the most common barriers that people face when they're you know trying to get good busy? Yeah, there are quite a few. I think there are um, some that we mentioned already today. I think number one is the misconception of productivity. So it's not about doing everything because it's impossible to fit everything um, in, but it's about doing and succeeding at what matters. Productivity is about knowing when to stop doing and what to stop doing. So I think this is number one uh, where people struggle the most. The number two, I would say, it's the confusion between the goals and the KPIs. It's really, um, I remember I was working in one of the companies and the general manager's KPI dashboard had 35 KPIs in there and I was asked to add three more. I mean, it's impossible to, to stay focused, right? So there is this expression, you know, keep your eyes on the goal, keep your eyes on the prize. And you're like, well, well which one? <laughs> because there are too many. So it's very, very hard. So you spread yourself thin. And the third one for me is that we do not invest enough time to understand our own thinking patterns and our own behavior in how we make decisions. And this, I'm talking about cognitive biases. I'm not um, a, psycho a psychologist or a therapist, but I think it's very important to learn what I call the, our own human algorithm, because a lot of apps and a lot of systems study human algorithm before they develop the apps, right? But we don't invest enough time to study ourselves. So if you think about it, like one of the, the most common in the workplace is the self-serving bias. So it's when we attribute successes to ourselves and we blame losses on others or external factors. So when we talk about companies in the third person, we fall into that self-serving bias. So everything great in the company, well, I, I help to achieve that. But everything that is not working well, that's company's fault. But look at the companies. Companies are groups of people. Companies wouldn't exist without people. So you are part of the group, right? So your actions, inactions, they um, sort of create the culture and they create the productivity in the company that you, you work for. So I think that when we put that blame and responsibility on others, we also... Um, remove the opportunity to change things. Most of the decisions are reversible, but because we think that it's for others to reverse, we don't take the step. 
So when we feel and we accept our own accountability, we actually understand that we are much more in charge of our circumstances than we 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 are. So Brian Tracy, for example, says that all 80% um, of constraints are internal and only 20 are external. But because we don't understand how we think and because we we are not investing to um, investing to investigate. Well, that's nicely said. We are not um, we are not investing to learn. Um, our own thinking patterns, it's very hard for us to make any change. So these are sort of where I try to focus on also in, in the way I teach and in the way I coach, um, because I think that as soon as we take accountability, there a lot of things become possible. The Good Busy course is available on my website, thegoodbusy.com, as of December 5th. And these are exact principles that help me to reclaim 30% of my time from unnecessary meetings and tasks for a happier and more productive me at work. And now I'm excited to share all these principles with other leaders because frankly speaking, work is part of life, but we all deserve rewarding and fulfilling time at work and plenty of time for what matters to us beyond work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's such a fascinating thing. I was listening to an Audible book recently um, while I was on maternity leave, and it was all about the scientific approach to critical thinking. Um, because yeah. I, I felt that, oh, this is something that I wanted to, to develop more because, you know, particularly say if I was in an interview, I believe everything that everybody says and I believe that everyone can be successful in the role, you know, like. A, and so I wanted to be able to. That's a very, uh, like, I guess, small example and lots of other ways around how can I actually think um, in a different way to to be, you know, critical or whatever it might be. But what it actually took me on this journey for the first third of the book was actually understanding the mind and talking a lot through these cognitive biases and understanding how I guess the brain works and therefore then applying that to me because I guess that's my frame of reference and just being so fascinated by what I learned about myself and how I was able to then kind of even now I find myself just trying to step back and challenge myself a little bit around how I'm thinking and going on that journey so and that was just from that one book and actually stepping into thinking okay but this is something that I wanted to learn but I got a lot more out of it. Yeah, and as you rightly said, it's just one book, right? You don't have to read 100 books to understand. It, you have to read one book. Well, you don't even have to. You can listen to a podcast. And you just need to implement and experiment because reading is just information. And in order to turn it into knowledge, you need to be willing to try. And if you're not trying, if you're not daring, if you're not experimenting, well, you're not going to have the knowledge. Mm, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I know that you've mentioned um, through the conversation around one of the, I guess, the tips and tricks for looking to be more productive and, and getting a sense of good busy in your day. It's all about being curious and asking more questions. Is there any other tips and tricks that you'd want to share that would help people um, who are listening to the podcast today um, move towards being more, you know, good busy? So I... Well, I don't believe that change happens overnight. I think that there can be very quick wins, of course, and that keeps us that keep us going. But I I think that becoming productive in a sustainable way requires a commitment. So it's very important to understand this. And that's why I mentioned the word experiment, right? So whenever we read something or we observe someone doing and we're asked them questions and we we learn, we get the information, just just try it. 
always try it because there are things that work for some people and the things that don't. I'm a morning person, but I know a lot of people who work very well at night. I am a completely dysfunctional at night. So it's it's very important to get to know yourself so you can create sort of your own version of productivity. So in my framework, I one like I have five steps, but the last step of my framework is called replay. So I like to use the word replay is because um, the first part of the replay, you just reflect on the things that worked and the things that didn't. So automatically you just discard the things that didn't because there is no point on trying um, and well, trying to understand why, you know, it works for somebody, but it's not working for you. So maybe you, you should keep on trying. I don't believe in that. If it didn't work, you tried maybe one more time, just leave it there. But look at the things that are working. Look at the things that are bringing you energy. Look at the things that are motivating you. Look at the things that are bringing positive outcomes. And these is the step. Then you go to the next phase of the replay when you start replaying those things. So you're starting repeating it. And that's how you build the habit. That's how you build the discipline. So for me, productivity is really about experimenting. It's not circumstances change, right? Change is a constant. So Something that worked for you today won't necessarily work for you tomorrow. But in order for you to understand this, you constantly need to have this replay with yourself, whether it's after uh, a task or at the end of the day, weekly, monthly. But replay should be ongoing for you to, to stay good busy. Yeah, that sounds great. And I, I've known that myself, that something in a different, like something that's in one role that I worked in and then I moved to a different organization and, you know, it didn't work there because the circumstances around me were different and maybe it was in a slightly different role with slightly different people. But um, but that if I'd had thought about that, I probably would have maybe replayed what I was doing and then got to a a new way of working or a new you know way of being productive in that organization maybe a little bit quicker <laughs> i think i've yeah. had a little bit of more reflection <laughs> yeah exactly but we don't we don't take time right we don't we don't take time we're too too fast we're rushing <laughs> somewhere yeah yeah oh, absolutely i think that's the constant isn't it rush here rush there's so much to do yeah. and achieve um you touched on, I guess, some of the things that you have access to, but is there, you know, places where businesses managers that can access templates or best practice ideas? I know that you have a wonderful newsletter that I'm signed up to and I'm loving, um, but anything else that you would like to share? Yeah, I think so. The newsletter is a great place to start. So it's at thegoodbusy.com slash newsletter. Um, I'm sharing one human secret a week, uh, productivity secret a week. So I'm not focusing on apps or systems. I think it's important for, for us to understand ourselves first in order to choose the right app and to build the right system. And the second place I think is the most common for me is LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. So all my playbooks are available um, on LinkedIn. When you sign up to the newsletter, you also get five playbooks for free. So that's another sort of way to get access to the, to the materials. Um, and um, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the easiest way. There is always the website, of course, um, so feel free. 
Fabulous. Thank you so much for being so generous with what you give out as, you know, free content and value. And, um, you know, those playbooks are absolutely fantastic. And um, I'll make sure that I um, share a link to your newsletter in the Manager Mentor Hub as well, because I think a lot of managers who join that um, community are going to get a huge amount of benefit from it. So I'll, I'll make sure it's there as a link. So anyone who comes through will be able to get access to that wonderful information. Um, we've covered so much amazing information. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, while we have you on the call. Well, I'm going to launch my course <laughs> soon in November. <laughs> so if everyone, if anyone is interested in the course, so just check it out. It will be on the website as well. And I'll talk about it um, on LinkedIn as well. So it's the Good Busy course for busy leaders so that they can make time for what matters to them at work and, and beyond. Yeah, so I'm excited working very hard on this one. So... <laughs> I know, and we talked about it beforehand, and the way that you're going about it, I think, is going to be very exciting and very engaging. So I'm also looking forward to consuming your course. So really appreciate you putting you. the time to get it out to all of us. So uh, I know it's Thanks not an so easy much, task. Lex. Yeah, but thank you so much thank for your time today. I really appreciate it. We've got so many gems in there, and um, I can't wait to to get this podcast episode out. So thank you very much. But for those of you who want more information, please go and sign up to the Good Busy newsletter and reach out to Kate directly. Um, lots of great help and assistance that she can be in around making sure that you're able to be good busy in your in your daily life. So thank you so much, Kate. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you have any feedback or would like us to deep dive on a specific skill, please email us at hello at manageriq.com. Thanks very much. Have a good day.